Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. The scripture says, And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After three days, he will rise. Well, over the past year, we've been following, and not every Sunday, but a lot of Sundays, the ministry of the Lord Jesus as presented in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we saw one of his great acts of power. He was the vanquisher, that is, the destroyer of demons. Remember, he delivered that poor little boy who had been tormented for years by this demon that would try to throw him in the fire or drown him, and Jesus set him free. In Mark chapter 9, verse 30, which follows that incident, we read this, uh, that he talks to his disciples for the second time about his coming death and resurrection. Second time, because in chapter 8 he had spoken about his coming death and resurrection. Chapter 9, he repeats this. Uh, in verse 32 it says, But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. They didn't really know what he was talking about. Going and dying and rising. Well, in Mark chapter 10, for the third time, Jesus repeats what is going to happen. His prediction was that they were going to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer persecution and death and then resurrection. Well, third time Jesus makes this prophecy. Is Jesus a true prophet of God or not? Did his prophecy come true? Well, we're going to be looking at that today, but let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, you know all things. You know the beginning and the end and all things in between. You're the Lord of our times and days and the years of our lives. And you were the Lord of the days and times and events in the ministry of your Son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You directed his paths and orchestrated the events around his life. You are the Lord of history and of each person's life. And you are especially the Lord of your son Jesus' life and death when you sent him to live among us. Open up your word, we pray, and teach us today. Send your Holy Spirit to magnify your word and magnify your son. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Jesus and his disciples were on the way to Jerusalem for one of the great uh, festivals of the Jewish people. Three times a year, 
the men were supposed to go to Jerusalem. This was the Passover feast. Uh, in that feast, each household, as directed by the scriptures, would take a lamb, keep it for a couple of weeks, and then they would slaughter the lamb and use the blood to uh, cover their sins uh, for another year, at least cover them temporarily, until the true Lamb of God would come into the history of the world and His shed blood would truly remove sins. You remember what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lambs were a foreshadowing, a prophecy of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, whose blood truly and actually completely removed the guilt, the punishment uh, that the people of God deserve for our sins. Well, the first thing I want us to clearly understand today is that Jesus predicted his coming, suffering, death, and resurrection three times to his disciples. Now, this is in Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10. If we look in the other synoptic gospels, that is Matthew and Luke, we see the same thing. Three times the writer records Jesus' prophecy of his coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. John's gospel also uh, does it in a different way with different wording, but also Jesus talks about his coming death. Well, these were sobering words that Jesus was saying. They were foreboding words. When he talks about what's going to happen to him, uh, what does the word foreboding mean? Well, it means fearful apprehension, a feeling that something bad is going to happen. That's what the dictionary says. We might, for example, talk about, we look up in the afternoon sky and it's getting dark, almost dark as night. It's a foreboding prediction that a big storm is coming. So Jesus issued these foreboding prophecies about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And he says several things were going to happen to him. Going up to Jerusalem, if you look at Acts 10.32, he says about seven different things are going to happen to him. Seven bad things, and then one good thing. He said he's going to be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. The religious leader is going to be delivered into their hands. And what are they going to do? It says they'll condemn him to death. They should have been supporting him and following him. No, they condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They're going to persecute Jesus and they're going to send him to the Gentiles to be persecuted. And then some very specific things it says is going to happen. They're going to mock him, make fun of him, spit on him. You know, when you spit on somebody, it's, it's really a, one of the worst insults you can do. It means you're worthless, you know. If you spit on somebody, and some people do that in other cultures, cultures uh, and maybe occasionally here, and then they're going to flog him and 
in a whipping with an instrument of torture that has bone and metals on the whip to tear the flesh. And then they're going to kill him. Seven different things are going to happen to him negatively. But after three days, he will rise. Jesus says this is what's going to happen to him. Well, death will be overruled by life. Crucifixion will be overcome by resurrection. Humiliation will be replaced with glorification. This is what happens when God comes on the scene. It's what happens when he comes in to the lives of poor sinners like me and you. Great things begin to happen. Where there was condemnation for our sins, we receive justification. Punishment for our sins is replaced with forgiveness. Eternity of separation from God is replaced by an eternity of being in the presence of Jesus. Man. Who would not want to be in the presence of our blessed Savior and Creator? You see, when God comes on the scene, everything changes. It happens in our lives. The regenerating, that is the life-giving spirit, overpowers the wickedness in our hearts that we were born with and brings the life of God into our hearts and lives. When the Spirit of God draws us to Christ, a new day dawns in our hearts. An everlasting day that never ends. The night of sin is ended. It begins to fade away. And the light of Jesus shines instead and drives away the sin. Amen. Sin be gone. Jesus is now here. He's my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. But these disciples were not yet at this mature point in their lives. They were still ignorant and still learning. And Jesus was patiently teaching them. He's patient with us also. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> so, Jesus makes these foreboding predictions to his disciples. Well, we need to ask the next question. Did these predictions actually come to pass? Well, let's see about that. Uh, is Jesus a true prophet? Did what he say would happen, happen? We're only going to look at Mark's gospel to answer these questions. He predicted that he himself, he called himself the Son of Man, a title that comes from the book of Daniel. It's really an exalted title of him who would come before the Ancient of Days and dominion and power and glory will be delivered into his hands forever. The Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. His prediction was that he would be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes we turn to the last three chapters of Mark and we look at Mark 14, 53. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest 
And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. He was put on trial before the Jewish leaders of his nation. Those who should have received him gladly persecuted him instead. It says they will condemn him to death. If we look at a couple of verses further in Mark 14, verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council, the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders, were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none because he was innocent. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garments. He said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all, all 70 of them, condemned him as deserving death. He was quoting pretty much from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. They didn't accept that. Well, they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't do it. It was against the law for them to execute capital punishment. So they went to the Romans. It says, I'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. We look at Mark chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the Roman governor, delivered to the Gentiles. The fourth thing Jesus said, they will mock him. They'll mock me. So what did they do? Chapter 15, verse 17 of Mark. They clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns like those up there. They put it on his head and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. Fake homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus said, this is going to happen to me. He said, they're going to spit on me. Chapter 14 of Mark, 60, verse 65 said, and they... Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And then Jesus said, They're going to flog me. In Mark 15, 15, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barnabas, and having scourged Jesus, that is, had him whipped with his terrible, vile whips that would tear your skin to pieces. Having scourged Jesus, that is, whipped Jesus, flogged him, he delivered him over to be crucified. So Jesus had to walk to Golgotha, bleeding profusely. And lastly, Jesus said, they're going to kill me. Mark 15, 24 says, and they crucified him. That's as good as saying they killed him. They get crucified. <laughs> you might last a few hours, you might last a few days, but you're going to die. 
They crucified him and divided his garments among them, some casting lots to decide what each should take. And then verse 37 of Mark 15 is very clear. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So seven terrible things were awaiting Jesus in the future. And Jesus told his disciples about this three different times. He did it in Mark's gospel. He did it in Matthew's gospel. He did it in Luke's gospel. But all these gospels, all nine places, end up with, on the third day, I will rise again. Hallelujah. So we read in Mark 16, verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Jesus had been in the tomb since Friday or perhaps even Thursday, Mary Magdalene, the one from whom seven devils were cast out of her, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might go and anoint him. They wanted to finish preparing him for his burial. Very early on the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Empty. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out, these women, they fled the tomb, trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, Jesus rose from the dead. We could read more about that in Mark's Gospel, but that's enough to show this. Well, Jesus made these predictions. How did Jesus know these things would happen to him? Well, I like to suggest two ways. First of all, he knew the scriptures. He knew what would happen to a prophet of God. He knew what would happen to the Messiah. For example, this is the way the sinful people of God had always treated their prophets. 2 Chronicles 36 verse 15 says this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them, that is the Hebrews, by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his word and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. So this had been the history. Jesus knew the history of his people. He knew the Old Testament. He knew how many times... The prophets who tried to turn the people back from their sins were mocked and persecuted by the people. Nehemiah talks about this in chapter 9, verse 26. It says, They were disobedient, the Jewish people, and rebelled against you, O Yahweh. They cast your law behind their back and they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. So, Jesus is just 
following the line of the prophets. But there are also specific prophecies in the Old Testament about the suffering of the Messiah. And we read uh, one of them today, part of it, from Psalm 22, verse 16. It says, Dogs encompass me, a band of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is a pretty detailed picture of the crucifixion of Christ. Oh, there's that famous passage in Isaiah 53 about the suffering Messiah. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. So Jesus knew these scriptures. He knew them backwards and forwards. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him that they applied to him. See, the other way he knew what was going to happen to him is because he not only knew the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit showed him at some point, you are the Messiah. You're the one who's going to the cross. When did Jesus realize that he was going to go to the cross and die? You see, he was fully a man. I don't know that I can say that at this point, but he definitely knew it by this time. He knew he was going to the cross. So let me ask this next question. Why did Jesus, on these three separate occasions, why did he tell his disciples what was going to happen to him? Why did he keep repeating this? It must be important because all three gospel writers, the first three gospel writers, record this. Well, the first reason is because of its great importance. The suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Summarizes his mission, what he came to do. He didn't come to be served by people, but to serve people and give his life as a ransom for many. So his death was the only way that God's people could have forgiveness of their sins. His resurrection was the only way that they could receive justification. That the resurrection showed that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ for the sins of his people. So they can now be justified, made righteous in his sight. So Jesus kept repeating this because he was really rehearsing in a nutshell the essence of the gospel. This was crucial that the disciples understood this. Another reason he kept repeating this, I believe, is because of the difficulty of comprehension by the disciples. It was hard for them to understand what Jesus was saying. Uh, One reason, I'm going to give you two reasons. 
because they did not have a full grasp of the full ministry of the Messiah as revealed in the Old Testament. They just kind of picked and choose what they wanted. Spoke about his glorious reign of power. Well, they liked that. But when he talked about his suffering and death and affliction, they didn't like that. So they had an imbalanced, defective, impoverished view of the overall ministry of the Messiah and what he was going to do when he arrived in human history. So their preconceived notion interfered with their understanding what Jesus was saying to them on those three different days. Now there's another interesting thing in one of the uh, Gospels. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, says this. He spoke to them of about the fact that he was going to be delivered into the hands of men. And then it says in Luke 9.45, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. So, the Lord was actively working, so it was concealed. Why was it concealed from them? Because it was not the time for God to reveal them this great reality. You know, when Peter understood who Jesus was, he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, Peter, you did not come up with this on your own. It was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual truth has to be communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus repeated this nutshell of the gospel to them because it was of great crucial importance. It summarized his mission on earth and because of their slowness, their difficulty of understanding what was going to be happening. Now, another thing we see here is that this repetition of what was going to happen in Jerusalem was a revelation of his commitment. He was on the way to Jerusalem. He understood what was going to happen, but he didn't turn back. He didn't say, oh, wait, wait a minute. I don't think I want to go to Jerusalem. I think I'll go back and take it easy in Nazareth. Go back to my carpenter job. No. He was committed to going to Jerusalem and commit, uh, completing the mission that his father had given him. He was revealing this to his disciples so that though they didn't understand it completely at that time, later they would understand. They would look back and say, oh yeah, Jesus told us on three different times that he was going to go, he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise. Oh yeah, remember? That's what's been happening. That's why the Holy Spirit's been poured out from heaven. Because Jesus rose and ascended and poured out the Spirit. And it all made sense to them. And so they began to preach that Jesus was risen and ascended and poured out the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you see, what he's talking about, his suffering... His death and his resurrection, all these are essential components 
of the ministry of the Messiah, the Christ who was to come, the suffering servant of Yahweh. So, by the fact that he predicted and then the predictions were fulfilled was confirmation that he was really the Messiah of God, the promised one, the one who would be anointed with the Spirit, the coming suffering king. Well, it's recorded in the Holy Scripture for the benefit of God's people in all ages, including us today. It's an exhortation for us to believe that Jesus really is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, and to follow him. You see, Jesus knew what his mission in life was. It was clearly revealed to him, probably gradually, but he intended to fulfill it. There wasn't anything that was going to stop him. Suffering, death, yes, he knew that was coming. But he knew it was the will of his Father to go through this time of suffering, to drink the bitter cup of the cross. Jesus' predictions came true about his death and resurrection. And so what does that teach us? It teaches us that all his other predictions are likely to come true also. If he knew what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem in detail, he tells us about his return at the end of the age. We can be like 100% assured that it's going to happen just like he said. You know, the disciples were slow to understand and grasp these truths about Jesus coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. But we can take heart in this because we too sometimes are slow to grasp biblical truth. It's what happens when a sinner gets saved and begins to learn about God. You don't learn all the theology about God overnight. It takes a lot of time and study and effort and discussion with people uh, to learn these vital truths about God. In order to grow and mature, it takes time. And it takes the revelation of the Spirit to understand these great truths. We have to come before God. Oh God, show me, teach me what your scriptures are saying. It's hard for me to understand, to get a hold of it. I need the help of your spirit to give me understanding of what the teaching of your word is. Jesus knew that sufferings were on the horizon, that it was going to happen, but he did not shrink from them. He was committed to the mission the Father had set before him. Now there's another thing about Jesus. He was a master teacher. And one of the fundamental principles of teaching is that students learn by repetition. You teach them this fact, this truth, over and over until they get it. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He was a good teacher. He knew that he was going to have to drill this truth into his disciples several times 
And it would still be a while before they would comprehend it when the Holy Spirit gave them understanding. And so the Holy Spirit helped them remember those three days. And they recorded them. The apostles recorded them. Because the Spirit was guiding them to write these Gospels. You see, we believe in the one holy and apostolic church. The apostles wrote the New Testament. They wrote the Gospels and all the letters. Jesus revealed His will. He helped them to remember what they had heard. And so they recorded accurately the things of Christ and what the things of Christ mean for us. Now, Jesus understood the Old Testament. He knew it backwards and forwards. And so he applied the specific predictions of the Messiah's sufferings and victory to his own life. He saw it. He knew this applies to me. We need to do the same thing. Not that we are the Messiah, of course, but we need to apply the Scriptures to our own lives as well. To the point that we do what Jesus did, we live them out. We flesh them out. As uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, uh, our, our minds are conformed to the Word of God. We renew our minds. We train our minds in the truths of Scriptures. Until our, our behavior begins to catch up with what we're learning in the Bible. And it's not an overnight process. It takes time and effort, and sometimes we make mistakes, we sin. But what do we do? We get up, we brush ourselves off, we put one foot in front of the other, and we keep going on the heavenly road to the new Jerusalem. Well, Jesus saw what's at the end of the suffering and the death. It was the resurrection. We too should be looking for the coming victory. We will celebrate Christ Jesus when he comes at the end of the age to raise us from the dead to bring us up from the grave if we've already died or we're alive is going to change us at the twinkling of an eye we'll be clothed with resurrection bodies like unto his glorious body the scripture says he'll usher us into his everlasting kingdom well at the end of our earthly pilgrimage this is what awaits us at Christ's return victory because of Christ's victory. Well, it takes the revelation of the Spirit to understand biblical truth. Spiritual truth is revealed to spiritual people as the Holy Spirit helps them understand, as they study, as they're faithful to study and to think and to pray. So you see, something supernatural and glorious is happening in our lives as we study the scriptures, as we drink in the word of God, as we pray and ask God to conform us more into the image of the scriptures so that we more and more look like 
Jesus in our behavior and our thinking and our theological understanding. Well, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand where he was going and what was going to happen to him. Seven very bad things, but the eighth thing was glorious. He rose up and he conquered all these negative things that had happened. He demonstrated without a doubt that he was the true prophet of God. Uh, The book of Hebrews talks about the fact that in the history of the Jewish people, God had revealed himself to them in many ways through prophets and through great events such as the Exodus. But it says in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, or in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he is the one whom the scriptures predicted and he proved that as he approached Jerusalem, underwent the suffering and death and rose from the dead. So he is the great prophet who was to come that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. He said, when one of your brothers comes into human history, you need to listen to him. Whoever does not listen to him is going to be in serious trouble. Well, Jesus is the prophet of God. He made these prophecies. They all came true and verified that he is the son of God, the savior of the world, and the great prophet of God. So seeing this, understanding this, we need to acknowledge him as the son of the living God, the true prophet of God, the savior of the world, Worship him, follow him, and rejoice in him. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, that these events, these three specific prophecies that Jesus made were recorded by the apostles because of their extreme importance in explaining the coming suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. The fulfillment of these prophecies shows without a doubt that he was the true Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. We thank you, Lord, for revealing these great saving truths to your people, for revealing them to us. Enable us, O Lord, to go forth rejoicing committed to your will for our lives, committed to glorifying Christ, to serving you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, all by your gracious work in our lives. We bless you. We thank you today. In Jesus' precious and victorious name we pray. Amen.